Welcome back to Behind Our Door. We are back again with Dr. Patrick McGrath talking about caregiving. I, I don't know how I keep breaking in this house. So I keep getting behind this door. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know, but we, we love having you here. We change the locks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we might not let you out. <laughs> Welcome, yes. Yes. So this is a very hot topic. And obviously, Nancy and I discuss this a lot. We've discussed it in our mini pods. Um, boy, I think there's not one person who can't relate to caregiving. But I'm interested to hear... Your take on it, your perspective. Um, I know personally and professionally that you do a lot of that. And uh, mm-hmm. so let's begin. What do you, what do you have for us? Well, you know, I've 23 years in this business. I've been trying to help take care of people who have anxiety disorders and OCD and hoarding and, and make sure that they're living the lives that they want to live and not the life that they're fight, flight, or freeze response tells them that they should be living, which is immediately right now, do the thing that feels great and safe and everything of that nature. So it's, it's an honor and a privilege that people trust you enough to allow you into their lives and to say, okay, I'm willing to do the tough stuff. Let's, let's face these fears together. Let's, and I've loved doing it next to people as well, too. You know, mm-hmm. so if if I'm going to ask somebody to do something uncomfortable, I'm going to do it too. You know, and and I put myself out there. I've I've had people who are afraid in obsessive compulsive disorder of what if I push people into a train? Right? They have no desire to. They don't want to do it. They would never do it. And I go to a train track and I put them behind me and I have their hands on my shoulder and for three hours I tell them to push me into every train that came by and teach them that just because you think something doesn't make it true or real, right? So I, I get in the weeds of it with people and things of that yeah. nature. But there's always been, you know, the ability after that to go home and chill out. And then I learned the other side of caregiving, which is the more personal side. When six years ago, my wife was diagnosed with a terminal cancer and took care of her for the last six years until she passed away in August and just watched the absolutely grueling nature of taking care of somebody who was in constant pain at all times and reaching out for the help that you can get and learning about you know who really steps up to help you and who kind of takes a back seat in in some of that and learning a lot about your friends and your family about people you thought maybe would be the people who would really step up aren't the ones who do so and then other people you you had no idea in your life uh would ever do such a thing turn out to be some of the greatest supporters that you'll ever have as well too so uh it is it, it goes from being thanked all day when people get better at work to and i want to say this in the nicest way possible but but kind of a thankless feeling at times job where uh, the person that you're helping and nor would I, I I don't expect to be thanked for it right it's it's part of my job but it, at, at the same place of it as well too I don't know that anybody realizes what it's like to be a caregiver until you have to be a caregiver for somebody who is dying and to be with them physically mentally emotionally through that whole experience while still having to hold right. your other life together as mm-hmm. well. 
Yeah, I can so, relate. And and first yeah, of all, well, I know you can. <laughs> we are we are I mean, we are truly sorry for your loss. I know how devastating it had to be for you. And um Such I also um, took took care of my mother while she was mm. dying. My mother passed away from bile duct cancer. And mm. um I don't mean to sound what's the word I want? I don't mean to sound negative, but <clears throat> I was almost thankful that it was short lived. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Absolutely. Um, because mm -hmm. I don't I don't know if I could have done it for six years like you did. So mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it wears on you mentally, emotionally, physically. And then you have to, mm -hmm. like you said, go to work every day and and function somehow. And I think mm -hmm. people don't realize how much support you need. And those people that you thought would be there are, are not there. And people you didn't think would be there are there. And it's kind of like your whole yeah. world is upside down. Yeah, there's there's nights where you're in the emergency room right? because even though we put up guards to try to keep her from falling, she would wake up in the middle of the night and forget, you know, the protocols and then fall. And then you're in the ER and then you've got a patient at eight in the morning that you got to see and you're trying trying to keep your eyes open mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and talk to people and everything. And, and uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating. I and even even just the first few weeks after she got diagnosed, it was a struggle sometimes to be with some people who who were comparatively talking about things that might not have been such a big deal. And there was a part of my brain that was still the very therapist me that was like, okay, here's what we're doing. But there was this little voice in the back of my head was like, no one understands what real problems are. Cause I just got a real problem in my life now. And yes. you wouldn't believe what that, you know? And so, you know, you have these internal demons going on and that whole experience and everything too. And I think for me, the saving grace and the whole piece of it was I was amazingly honest with everybody I was working with to let them know what was going on. And I I said, hey, there's going to be days I might look tired. There's going to be days that uh, I might have to cancel. And and here's the reason why. And And I'm so thankful of all the patients that I worked with who gave me the grace to to be okay. a person as well as a therapist. And, and I'll always be thankful for that. That's oh, great advice. That. I mean, that's, that's a great move when you have people that are listening to this and thinking, you know, thinking on the same lines that that's them. How else did you, over these six years, I mean, grueling years, how did you stay above, above water taking care of yourself? I mean, what were some of the things you did to give yourself strength? You have to overcome the guilt. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. Right. Because the first few times that I'd want to go do something, I would hold back from doing it because I'd be like, why do I deserve to go and do this if she can't go and do something as well, too? And finally, it was enough good friends and family who would come over and say, all right, we're going to stay with her. Get out of here. Go and just go play golf or something. And, and you know, I... I'm thankful for those couple of hours that I could have on weekends away or to go to a game night and play nerdy board games with some of my buddies and everything. It just, um, to be able to really do that. The, the other piece was to really not get into quick fixes. You know, there's a lot of people who turn to alcohol or drugs in these situations as a way to get through it. I did not increased drinking. I did not turn to any drugs or anything um, because I 
you know, working in this field, I knew a, the allure of those things is there, but B, the consequences are there too. And I wasn't going to risk having to deal with that and then bring that into a family that was already devastated with cancer. Now we don't need someone who's struggling with substances and then have that interfere with my job and everything too. So not only did I have to know the good ways of coping, I had to be really cognizant of the not so great ways of coping as well too, and make sure that I was staying on the good ones. The one that I never mastered well enough, but is necessary for so many people is to get enough sleep. You know, if if you don't want to function, don't sleep. If you want to function, get, get sleep, right? Because there's so much research out now that a lack of sleep interferes with everything from weight loss to, um, you know, just basic mood and all sorts okay. of ways that your body's working and functioning. and. Uh, the more worn down you are, the less there you are for the person who you're supposed to be caretaking for. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's interesting when you were talking about that. Of course, I, I flash back of raising my son all those years. And I really struggled with the guilt of if he's not happy, then am I okay to be happy? Should I yeah. be happy? Um you know, the successes of people around me and their children that he wasn't accomplishing and you know, there was a lot of guilt in that. Is it my fault? Did I do it? Mm -hmm. um, could I have done it better? Could I have been a better parent? Should I have found a man, got married, and maybe gave him a, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I struggled with that for, for many, many years. And I and I think I think when you're a caregiver, giver, whatever the situation is, whether, you know, you're taking care of somebody who's terminally ill or somebody who is mentally ill, yes. you're going to struggle with that for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. But deep down inside, I, I've come to learn that it is okay. It's okay to take a break. It's okay to be happy. And, you know, it, it's okay to set some boundaries once in a while, even if that means the other person is going to have to suffer a little more because you have to take care of yourself or you cannot take care of other people. Yeah, there's a reason we tell you to put your oxygen mask on first before yes. you put the oxygen mask on of people around you. Because if if there isn't enough oxygen and you pass out, then you can't help anybody. But if you at least get it on, then you could be helpful to everybody else as well. Too. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about this on, you know, we've had, talked about boundaries before and self-care and just the long and the short of it always is just like you're saying sleep to, um, you know, like you say, you get over the guilt of thinking, I shouldn't be, for whatever reason, I shouldn't be doing things I love to do and realizing those things are so important. I mean, it's like for me, I, I run almost every day. I, I feel like I, even when things were so hectic in my life, taking care of, um, you know, family and my son that was having tremendous problems at the, you know, bipolar disorder, the ups and downs, that roller coaster, I just said thinking I need, this is how I stay strong. I need yep. to do this for myself and um, sticking to it, really sticking to it. That time that I set aside and what I did and it saved me. It does. And also getting help yourself. I was just going to say getting that. The strength yep. of having therapy and knowing, you know, saying all the things that you're saying, you know, Patrick of um, really knowing, knowing how to take care of yourself. Someone has to tell you sometimes, you know, you really have to Get the strength. In did you, did you have get the strength? Did you have a therapist while you were going through all this? 
I, I had 300 therapists. <laughs> I mean, I, the beauty of working, you, yes, not, the I beauty mean, of working at this company and and just being in this field for so long is I I felt like I was having sessions a lot with people who were checking in with me and making right. sure that things were going okay and um yeah and then you know, they help you relieve some of that guilt. Yes. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. And, and it didn't, the guilt didn't last long. I was, you know what the best therapy for me was, was following my own advice that I give to everybody else, which is where I really learned, Hey, this stuff really works. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, But, but I figured yeah. if I, if, if I'm not going to do what I tell everyone else to do, then I'm a hypocrite. So I, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. So I have to put this stuff into play. And if anyone else was sitting in a zoom with me right now, and we were, we were going over this, what would I tell them to do? I'd say this, this, and I, then I got to do that too. And, and that became my, my, you know, personal therapy through this whole experience was making sure I was following my advice and applying it to my life, just as I would expect anybody else to do the same. So when you're in that situation of, of caregiving, how, how do you get sleep or take time out or, um, you know, go out with a friend for dinner? I mean, how do you physically transition that, I guess, is what I'm asking. I mean, like even, even when you're frozen, you know, people yeah. are fro that frozen feeling of, you know, how do you, how do you get out of that to be able to do those things? First of all, every plan had a caveat, right? And so I never made a plan that was rock solid because mm -hmm. you didn't know that day how she was going to feel and maybe things had to change, which meant instead of going out to a restaurant, we're going to order it in we're going to have it here. And she might be sleeping in the hospital bed here in the living room. We're sitting in the, in the dining room and, you know, she'll be 10 feet away from us, but that's going to be what we're going to do. Or we'll be on the porch right outside and I can look inside and I can still see her through the window or something like that. So everything had the ability to pivot. Mm -hmm. And that way, if it did, I was never disappointed about something. But if, but if you put all your eggs in one basket, right? And this is what we're going to do, what we're going to do, we're going to do, we're going to do. And then that comes day, something happens, and then you're not doing it anymore. You're, you're really disappointed. So I figured out a way to be able to set things up to never be disappointed, even if they didn't go the way that we had planned them to go, because there was always a backup plan. Great advice. That is such great advice. I think about that, too, like the, just the fluidity of it. Yeah. You know, I was fortunate in the fact that I had great friends and they knew my situation. And if we were out to dinner and I had to get up in the middle of dinner and leave, no one questioned anything. And that yeah. took away a lot of um, me feeling bad. You know, it really right. helped that situation that I didn't feel so bad. Right. I mean, it was just everybody understood. Not, never once did I get any grief from anybody about it if I had to if I had to cancel going somewhere, if people weren't coming here, you know, everyone knew from the beginning of planning something, just remember there's a chance that, that this could all, even at the last moment, not go through. Uh, and everyone was like, totally understand. No worries, no issues, no problem. And so, 
those are the kinds of people you want to gather yourself around, right? Because if you do have people who resent that and can't understand that and won't be a part of that, those are people that you just can't put time and energy into anymore because they'll they'll suck the life out of you. Okay. If if they're going to be angry at you about something that you don't have any control over from someone else, but that is dependent upon you, you know, then those are not those are not people to give time and energy to. Yeah, I agree. And I and I also think there's a side of it, you know, I think your your wife would want you to still have some type of life, right? She doesn't want you to sit by her bedside 24 hours a day holding her hand, did she? Yeah. No. Um it was it was good for both of us to have some of that time away from each other. And you know, I worked from home for the last uh, two and a half years, uh, so that was good. And really, prior to that, you know, she could handle being alone during the daytime, um, and there was enough family or people who could come by if if needed. But in the last two years, when she really was declining even worse, it was good to be home when she had less far less mobility and mm -hmm. and needed more help with more doctor's appointments and things like that. So I I think it's it's important to point out on this note though that a lot of people are th that are caregivers or caregivers of someone like uh, an Alzheimer's situation, someone yes. who the patient I mean the the person who's struggling doesn't um doesn't really understand after a while even what they're going through for whatever reason right. mentally and that that is um that is a sort of guilt that someone would have to get over of that still should make time for themselves the caregivers still should have no guilt somehow but they're they don't have the understanding of the person for whom they're caring because they could be angry and lash out because they're not they're not yeah. who they used to be or what have you so well, and you're not who you used to be either, too. I mean, there were there were times I got frustrated with the situation, you know, and and Susan could see it and she'd want to apologize to me. And I'd say to her, I'm I'm not mad at you. I'm I'm frustrated by the entire situation that we find ourselves in. Right? I, I know you did not choose cancer. I know that you were like, oh, what can I do today that would make our marriage better? Oh, cancer. Yeah, that would be awesome. Let's do it. No, that that's not what happened. So. Yes, I'm frustrated, right? A hundred percent. This whole thing is amazingly frustrating, but I'm not angry at you at all. And so emphasizing consistently that this wasn't, you know, something that was personal, but also being honest about times that if if something was frustrating, that that we had to talk about it and come to a solution about things. You know, when when someone's also like, like you said. That either their brain's not functioning the way that it normally does due to some kind of change that's happening in the brain, maybe a buildup of plaque like you see in Alzheimer's, or due to the increasing use of medications that might create brain fog, like all of the morphine and painkillers that, that Susan was on. Decision-making wasn't always great, right? And so to, to have to work with walking someone through decisions uh, was interesting, or, or you even have to learn how to watch a television show in a new way, because you're probably going to hit the pause button a lot and have to explain to someone, okay, now remember that character, last show they were the one, oh yeah, yeah, okay, thanks, okay, and then, uh, you know, just 
everything that we did had something new as a way to do it. Uh, there, I can't think of one thing that that didn't change in our lives from where you sleep, where you go to the bathroom, uh, how how you move around the house, how you watch television, how you eat, mm-hmm. when you eat, where you eat. All all of those things had to change. We have a a, a dining room table that has is high. It's a it's a tall table with the Our tall stomach. chairs. And Susan would fall asleep. And, and one night time I'm down here working and she had sat down. She fell asleep. She fell off the chair and she's now on the floor. So we couldn't use the dining room table. Anymore, right. That was that had to become off limits to her. So now I had to buy a different table around a chair, you know, and, and figure out ways to even do feeding because I couldn't take that risk anymore mm-hmm. uh, because she would just fall asleep so so easily. I think it gives you a sense of humility too, you know, a little bit of, of being more humble and being more kind, because I feel like when you're put in these situations, it's given me a whole different perspective on life. And so I don't look at things so black and white anymore. You know, I I look at people very differently because I feel like behind every door, there's something, there's something going on. Mm-hmm. And we just have to find out what it is. And then, then it makes me understand people more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if somebody's, you know, flying past me in a car and cuts me off, maybe it's because someone's in trouble and they're trying to get there as quickly as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Great. You know, go ahead. And no skin off my nose that, that you need to rush past me. I, I don't care anymore. Go ahead. Whatever. You know, mm-hmm. what, and, so many things that might have been frustrating in life before now are just like eh, in comparison that's nothing yep. that ain't a big deal at all i don't i don't really care whatever yeah, yeah it's crazy how it changes your perspective it gives you a lot more patience at least in my life and obviously yours but mm-hmm. you know the other thing i want to point out too is that i think caregivers forget that you do have a right to be mad and you can be mad and you can express of course. That. You know, I, you know, I think we focus so much on the person that's sick or ill that we forget that we're human and have emotion and we have to talk about that stuff. It's okay to be pissed off. Be pissed off. It's okay to be hey. you. It's okay to, to think what you want to think. Yell, yeah. scream, whatever it takes. Yeah, absolutely. To get, to get you through those moments. You know, at the end of the day, we know it's not the fault of the person, but we still have a right to feel emotion. Every emotion has some kind of validity to it, right? Yes. So, so I never want to be angry, right? Mm. <laughs> um, it, it's not anything that I'm I'm hoping to have to be. I don't enjoy being angry about things, uh, but I have to acknowledge when I am angry, mm-hmm. all right, what am I going to do about it? I'm going to take it out on someone okay. or am I going to try to figure out, okay, what's the best solution that's amicable, hopefully for everybody in this situation. Right? To me, a great compromise means nobody's leaves happy, but nobody leaves pissed off. Too. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's a really good, good point. And 
there were always compromises. You know, um, I, I'll tell you the probably the hardest day in my life was the day that I called our families together, my whole family and Susan's family, and I said to them, "I can't, I can't do this anymore." because we Susan was still looking at treatments and there were certain people in families that were pushing for those to continue to happen and they would push but I was dealing with her dropping everything and falling right. and not you able living, to feed herself it. you were the day to day yeah. living it yeah and you know bodily control issues and all all of those kinds of things and um I got to the point where I was just like Every treatment we've now tried has led to this getting worse instead of better. And I I no longer find it ethical to do any more of these treatments just to watch her suffer more. And within two hours of that meeting starting, there was an ambulance at her house and she was in the hospital and put on hospice. Oh, gosh. Not because we had that meeting, just that was the first seizures that she had. And then four months later, she had the big seizure that led to her finally dying two weeks afterwards. But um, I had seen all the signs because I was living in it every day and finally had to just gather everyone together and and, and say, you know, I had to wave the white flag. And, mm-hmm. and that was really horribly I, hard. You know, when when you have to tell people, I... I've done all I can. I've tapped out. There's there's nothing left in the tank anymore to do this. And and I think that we're getting to a point that doing any more is causing more harm than any good. Good for you for doing that, though. I you think know, it's that, a, I mean, a very strong person to to admit that. And I think yeah. it's also hard that people people mean well. We know that. But they want to insert themselves and they're not living it day to day. You should, you could try this. Like you're not sitting here, you know, changing their diaper or, or picking them off the floor or in my situation where my son was raging all the time and throwing things at me. Like you're not here. So mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that you want to help me, but I, I need you to take a step back. Mm-hmm. Did you receive support from those family members in the under, the understanding that you were at the end of your rope, that this was just the decision that you had come to, which was tough enough? Yeah. You know, um, once, once she was on hospice, and I'll tell you, amen, the hospice people oh. love you. Amazing. Yeah. You know, just what a, what a group of folk. Um that was one of the greatest things ever because then it wasn't any more just downhill the way that we had seen with adding all these poisons into her body, which, mm-hmm. which was what was happening, right? She was just being constantly poisoned with chemos her radiations or things like that, hoping that it would stave this off, but it wasn't doing that. Um, and, and we actually, you know, got to do things that we couldn't have done. You know, uh, three days before the the seizure that ended eventually just was the end of her life. You know, I took her out to the movies. I was able to get her out. She wanted to go see Jurassic Park. <laughs> she really, she loved Jurassic Park, and so I got her out. I had she been on still active treatment, I 
I would have never felt comfortable with doing that with all of the things that were happening to her. So uh, in, in my mind, and maybe it's just how I like to think of it, but in my mind, it, in making that statement and, and putting that foot down and saying, you know, this is what I can give, I was actually able to give more for a few months yeah. than, than I could have given. Wise words. I think it takes the burden off of you, too. You're no longer responsible for what everybody else wants. Mm -hmm. You're solely focusing on what you and your wife need. Yeah. And I wasn't saying to anybody, you can't do treatment anymore. I, I even made the offer. If anyone else has, has gas in the tank to do it, please just move in with us. Right. You know, just that's all I'm asking. You just move in and you help out. And uh, that's great. You know, if that's what it is, that's fine. But I can't do it myself anymore. Yeah. I just, it's, I just. That's I a can't. really important component to the whole statement of it is taking it off yourself and still offering, saying, you know, you try it, you see. Mm -hmm. But uh, wow, that's one. Well, I think we have to recognize too when we're, when we're done, when we need help, like this is it. This is all I can do. And after that, if you want to come in and take over, go ahead. But I'm done. This is this is my limit. Know your limits. But but beyond that, I think it's it's the bold move of you know you have someone's life and someone you love, someone's life right at your fingertips, and you're making these decisions, and um, you know just having this not not having guilt attached to this. It's fact. It's life. It's quality of life. Mm -hmm. some big stuff i mean yeah. what you're saying is is really so important for to hear and and to think about because there are a lot of people that would think the right thing to do is to keep at it keep doing this and it isn't you know so often just admitting to yourself that this is just not working when sometimes you're told chemo saves your life or this or that i mean it's hard to go yeah. Going that direction, but like you're saying, it it bought some quality of life to the end of her life. Yeah, and boy, is this a personal decision, right? I mean, I yeah. I I would never begrudge anybody for whatever decision they make because they make the decision that they feel is the best decision to make. But you know, Julie, going back to what you had said, I remember my grandfather had um, had colon cancer and just years of that, and and as they got older and older, and and some of their friends would, you know just die, right? They'd have a heart attack, they'd drop mm -hmm. dead, something like that. My grandmother would always say to those people, maybe not in the most couth way, she was a lovely lady, <laughs> but she would say to them, be happy. You know, because she had eight years of watching my grandfather suffer and she would just say to those people, just be happy. You you didn't have to go through that, right? Now, I... I don't know which one I want to choose, right? I, I don't I don't know that anybody wants to choose anyway. <laughs> to no. go. If, if we could not suffer, that would be great. Sure. But uh, and if it could be for a long time, uh, long time off, probably great, too. But um, no one. No one knows until you're in these situations what you're going to do. You know, I I I, I will. <laughs> 
etiquette. I'm, I'm way putting myself out here today. But, you know, I remember as a kid when all of us, Julie, growing up in the neighborhood, we'd, we'd make stupid jokes like, oh, if I'm ever, if I ever have to wear diapers or something, shoot me in the head, you know, yeah. it's just, and now, God, I look back and think, I wish I'd never said something. I know. I know. And, and stupid I, kid I, stuff. Yeah. You know, just things when you're young and, and you, you just don't understand. And, and as I got older, you know, wow, you know, thinking back on some of that and I had no idea. I just, I just didn't know. No, but life throws us these things and that, and that's how we learn and we, yeah. we become better people. In my mom's situation, she was 83 years old. So when she got the diagnosis, I mean, the doctor gave her three months and she lived three months and she said, I'm not doing any treatment because of how sick it makes you. And I have to say, I was appreciative of that because we got to spend some really good quality time and I got to ask her all those questions that mm -hmm. I never, we never talked about before. Um, so for me, when she passed, not that I wasn't sad, but I felt like sure. I, had, I had closure to it. Yeah. You know? um, and it really brought me a sense of, of strength which I hope you found with your wife also. Yeah. Um, there will always be things to look back on and go, in hindsight, you know, could have done that better, right? Could have. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm content in knowing that I feel like I did everything that I could to try to give her quality. Yes. Because that's what was most important to me was was quality. But somehow, but somehow you did it. Um, getting strength from taking care of yourself, that you know, caregiver. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really good things for yourself. Growing and learning along the way from the first minute you received that diagnosis till she was gone. You know, it sounds like you know, live and learn, and you did. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're a different person for it. You don't ask to go through it, but different yeah. person for that. Yeah, all we can do is is one day at a time. And so, how are you doing now? How is how has it been since since that day? How has life changed? You know, um, I there was an initial kind of cleanup, getting rid of all the hospital stuff in mm -hmm. the house and everything, and kind of just putting the house a bit back together. And then I took a little break, and then there was the uh, getting to the end of the year, so uh, was kind of an impetus for all right, people could use coats and things, so I made some donations and figured um, if if she lives on anywhere, it's going to be. Maybe I'll be driving around town one day and I'll see a coat or a purse mm -hmm. or something. And I'll be like, I know where that, mm -hmm. I know where that came from. And, and hopefully somebody is getting good use to it. So I've, I've done some really nice donations to some local uh, domestic violence shelters here in the area oh, that, because um, I know people sometimes just have to leave with the clothes on their back and that's all that they have available to yeah. them. So, so if people could use something and to do a business interview or something like that, that would be great. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even as we talked previously in, in our discussion around hoarding, um, 
you know, there are things that have emotional connections, right? And you, then you have to decide to what to do with the stuff because you're, you're not throwing away a relative, right? You're, yeah. Um, and just because someone else now has something doesn't mean you're going to lose the memory of the person, even if it was associated with that, that thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm content in, uh, uh, my many of my Jewish friends would say to me, uh, "May her memory be a blessing." Right, and so I've had to become content with my memories are the things that that allow me to get through day by day. Not the not the things, right? But the memories are what I'm going to rely on. So important. Yeah, the house could burn down tomorrow, and I'd have nothing. Right, but I'm still going to have my memories. And so that's what I'm going to rely on. And it yeah. sounds like you, it sounds like you really took that journey on a good path, an impossible situation, but boy, this is this whole, this whole, this whole episode listening to you on caregiving is such a lesson because, you know, it has its challenge, humongous challenges and you really have some great advice from your personal experience, but Really great, yeah, it, you know. If, I, so important. If people are going through it with, you know, a loved one, a friend, a family, or a parent, child, whatever it is, you know, if if there's anything from today you take out of it, it is. I hope that you you recognize that if, if you want to be a good caregiver, the people you are caregiving, not just the person you are caregiving, but the people you are caregiving, because there's always two, there's yourself and the person that's getting caregiving, right? So the people that you are caregiving deserve good caregiving. Yes. And that means giving yourself good caregiving as well as, as the person that you're caregiving as well. Great advice. So well said, so well said. Gosh. Patrick, we are sending you a huge, huge hug virtually since you're not here. Thank um, you. No, no, we love you and you have a special <laughs> place in, in our heart. My heart more than Nancy's because we grew up together. And <laughs> hey, listen, it's still in my heart. <laughs> I know. Oh, of course you are. Yeah. <laughs> she loves you too. Uh, but this really, um, this you're, this is took a brave move to even talk about this whole painful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a little weird because I don't. Talk yeah. about this with all that much. But, <laughs> so, but, the podcast I in. but but it's um it was it's such a brave move to do that and um just a total gift to to those listening. So thank you. You Can are I, a gift. You really are. <laughs> you you give all the time. You keep on giving. So I look well, forward to your future because it's going to come back to you. I know it. Thank is. you. Thank you. And, and we'll hey, on again. It seems yeah, like you guys keep leaving the door open. I'm going to show up behind <laughs> your door behind, again sometime. So, behind our you know. door. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. So, till next time you come back on, we look forward to it. All right. Thanks, thank guys. you so much. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We welcome your input. To contact us or any of our guests, please email us at behind our door at mail.com that's behind our door at mail.com and please don't forget to like and share our podcast 
Um, leave us a rating. Tell us how we're doing. We really want your feedback. It's important to us. We are so thankful that you are here and listening to us. If you or someone you know is in crisis struggling with mental illness, you can call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or the NAMI Helpline at 1-800-950-6264. Until next time, please join us for another conversation behind our door. Thanks for listening.